Welcome for another episode of Back Row Center, a podcast about movies from Filmstreams, Omaha's nonprofit organization dedicated to the presentation and discussion of film. I'm Filmstreams Communications Director Patrick Kenny, and I'm joined again by Filmstreams Artistic Director Diana Martinez and our Development Manager Dana Ryan. Hello, colleagues. Hello. Hi. So on our last episode, we invited our listeners to submit ideas for the film we discussed this month, and we got a lot of wild suggestions. Uh, thanks to everybody who sent in their nominees, from Parasite, to Portrait of a Lady on Fire, to Christmas Vacation 2, Cousin Eddie's Island Adventure, which I checked, it's a real movie. <laughs> um, ultimately, one film came out on top, um, and it is... A film that taught us that life moves pretty fast. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Okay. Uh, that's right. Uh, join us in the best seats in the house, Back Row Center, for a discussion about Ferris Bueller's Day Off. I said it before and I'll say it again. Life moves pretty fast. You don't stop and look around once in a while. You could miss it. So dangerous about a character like Ferris Bueller is he gives good kids bad ideas. Why should he get to skip school when everybody else has to go? Syphilitic meningitis. He never gets caught. This guy in my biology class said that if Ferris dies, he's giving his eyes to Stevie Wonder. Well, he's very popular, Ed. I recall Central Park in fall. Ferris Bueller, do you know him? Yeah, he's getting me out of summer school. They think he's a righteous dude. Think you'll be alive this weekend? I can see him denying popular belief, setting off on some impossible mission. He jeopardizes my ability to effectively govern this student body. He does whatever he wants. You know, as long as I've known him, everything works for him. Whatever he wants. He's very cool, and he never gets nailed. Ferris can do anything. Oh, he's such a sweetie. Wake up and smell the coffee, Mrs. Bueller. It's a fool's paradise. He is just leading you down the primrose path. Matthew Broderick. Bueller. Ferris Bueller. Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Because life is too beautiful a thing to waste. Yay! <laughs> Look at that. Look, play a crashing car noise. <laughs> <laughs> my friends, my coworkers, I am so excited to talk about John Hughes' maybe masterpiece with the both of you. Uh, and I have some questions to guide our conversation, but I wanted to start at the beginning um, what was your background with this movie, if any? Uh, what has this movie meant to you, uh, if anything? This movie means absolutely nothing to me. <laughs> I mean, I, I saw it when I was younger. My, I mean, my sisters are like 10 and 14 years older than me. Um, so this was like definitely their generation. So I probably saw this film a lot earlier than people my age normally did. Um, I have no particular emotional attachment to this film whatsoever. <laughs> Dana? So, <laughs> so um, I will say that this was one of my brothers. I think, it, it, so it came out in 86. Is that right? Correct. Okay. Yeah. So it was my older brother. He's five years older than me. So he was, it was more like his age range when it came out. Um and so I, I think I saw it probably, you know, again, I was a little bit younger. Um, but um, anyway, I love John Hughes movies. This was it, this isn't necessarily the one like this wasn't my jam when I was when I was in high school or when I was in middle school. I was more of like the pretty in pink, some kind of wonderful. Yeah, I agree. I think pretty in pink is my favorite John Hughes. 
and Breakfast if Club, I have like to pick those one. were, yeah. yeah, those were like those those ones. But I mean, Ferris Bueller's Day Off, I think it's great. I love it. Yeah. So this, so similar situation. Uh, older brother, he's twelve years older than me. He was very into this movie. Uh, and I was also very into this movie when I was a little kid. Um, <laughs> it is my favorite John Hughes movie. I very much uh, love it. Um, I remember even we had uh, the VHS tape that we had, had all these like weird, it was like, remember when HBO or Showtime would have like the free weekends? Yes. Yeah. It was taped from one of those. So there's like all kinds of interruptions, like order now, like. If you yeah. want to keep watching yeah. things like Ferris yeah. Bueller, yeah, here's the 800. Oh, those were the yeah. best weeks. Oh, oh those I were so special. HBO. Yeah, I feel like we had, yeah, we had a bunch of VHS tapes from those weekends. Yeah, to, like, for sure. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah. <laughs> God, I forgot all about that time. Never forget. I know. Yeah. Never forget where you came from. What a simpler, <laughs> simpler time. I mean, it was like the version of like now getting like the HBO Max password from your like cousin or something yeah. was those like free HBO Showtime weekends. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is our chance. <laughs> True lies again. That's yes. record. <laughs> yeah. Like we always looked in the paper for the TV schedule. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. And then this is like a very, yeah. These are very, this is like Smithsonian, like the Smithsonian wants these memories. We used to get the TV guide. Yeah, the TV guide. My grandma was all about the TV guide. Uh, Okay, so assuming uh, we haven't all watched this movie in a while, uh, what were your your impressions on watching it uh, for this recording? Well, I do remember, so I just watched it um, a couple nights ago, and I always forget about that cringe worthy moment when he picks her up from school and they kiss Ugh. and I'm just like you blew it right there you're you blew it game over yeah but anyway <laughs> that was the big impression from this time around I was like man I forgot about this moment well I mean the, it should have been over right then he should have been like oh yeah obviously not your dad sure <laughs> otherwise I'm calling the cops bye right yeah. Instead of being so, that's how it is in their family. Like, yeah. what? You are an educator. You are a principal. Yeah, you're a yeah, mandatory that's... reporter. You're a mandatory <laughs> reporter. <laughs> yeah, that that was a little bit. But also, I forget. I love Cameron in this movie. He's my favorite. Oh, uh, he's the it's best. It's his film. I it's think that's film. what I was struck by when I watched this. Like, if you think of like, like who actually has the character arc in this movie? Like, it's right. not Ferris. Um, yeah, everything it's goes Cameron. great for Ferris. Like Cameron has the breakthrough. Cameron has the like he starts off as one person at the beginning and kind of at the end decides that he'll like, you know, try to be his most assertive self. Um, which I think is really it's really interesting. I don't think I particularly like his character. Um, but I do like appreciate Yeah, are you rooting for yeah. Cameron? I think I I think I'm rooting for Cameron in a weird way. I mean, he's a crybaby, definitely. Right. Yeah. And you're kind of like, but Shut Ferris up. is a sociopath. Right. Okay, we're gonna get to this. We're going to get to this. <laughs> yeah. For sure. Um, I will have to say, as I've gotten older, and I know maybe this is not that sympathetic, but I have realized that I identify the most with Jeannie. Oh. Yeah. Who is the like angry rules follower? 
who um, is just like completely, she is the person. You well, are definitely camera, the angry rules. For sure. Yeah, yeah, For absolutely. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, safety first. Safety absolutely first. But along with Cameron, she's like the person who's like exasperated by Ferris and completely sees through him. Or, you know, or the flip is maybe she just doesn't get it and she needs to, the movie posits that she needs to just be, everybody needs to be more like Ferris Bueller in this movie and just give in and forget about the rules. They're not there for a reason. Well, it's, it's, it's a really interesting movie because I feel like. I, I'm not always this person who's like, ah, oh, generational differences. But I feel like when you watch media, like that's where you see it. I feel like this is such a fantasy of like Gen X of just like being able to like do whatever, do whatever, no consequences. Like this film gives me anxiety. Like I feel most kids nowadays are Cameron, like are far more Cameron than they are Ferris. Um, and I just, yeah. To, Interesting. Like, I feel like coming off of the holiday episode that we just did, like, this is who Kevin McAllister is going to grow up to be. Yeah. Oh, okay. Like, he'll be Ferris Bueller. Like, a kind of schemer, criminal, (laughs) petty criminal criminal child. (laughs) That somehow things always work out for him in the end. That's the part about the movie that pisses me off. Yeah, like, again. and like, I just I'd am in that genie mindset. Yeah, exactly. Like I would have been arrested one second into that film. Where's the security <laughs> yeah. on the parade? Where's right. the security on the parade? Yeah. <laughs> so I think um, I, so I'll say as somebody who loved it before, I loved it again. I really enjoyed it. And it hasn't, you know, has not been a few years since the last time I watched it. <laughs> so um yeah, I'm still still pretty much there where I was when I was a kid with this movie. Um, what do you enjoy about it so much? Like, uh, I like the film. I think I'm being, you know, yeah. it sounds like I'm a lot harsher on it than I actually am. It's a very enjoyable film. Um, they don't make movies like this anymore, really. Right. Um, but for you, like, what what speaks to you about this film? Well, yeah, I mean, so it's a lot of nostalgia uh, because it feels like a world that, you know, so the nostalgia is fueled by um, a uh, desire to return to a simpler, uh, less complicated time in your life, i.e. childhood. Mm-hmm. So the fact that I did watch this so much when I was a kid already is is baked into it. And then also that it looks so much like that time, like it just looks so 80s um, in a way that actually I think it like defined um, like the mm-hmm. look of the 80s in ways mm-hmm. um, or the late 80s at least. Um, instead of just like, I mean, it was prescriptive as well as descriptive in that ter- in the in in that sense. Um, and then the music, I mean, uh, that's part of it all too. I think um, it is a fantasy, though. I'm not like I never like really thought like of Ferris Bueller. I think is like a role model. Well, that's uh, good. <laughs> yeah, uh, but uh, yeah, it, it is fun. It's fantastic. I mean, it's yeah, it's just um, a fantasy. It's fun to like kind of slip into and go around Chicago for the day in this weird adventure. That is the fun part about that movie is seeing all the things Chicago. I love the day he puts together for them. Yeah. Like I think it's it's a really like Ferris as a character, like we kind of get to know like who he is a little bit. And he's like, he's a worldly kid. 
Like he takes them yeah. to a ball game. He takes them yeah. to the museum. Like they right. go to a, like a fancy restaurant and eat like duck they liver eat pancreas. or whatever. Yeah. yeah. And like I think that that like that's an interesting characterization of like teens that you don't really get. Mm-hmm. Right. That like he is someone who is not only like fun and cool in school, but he's also like really in touch culturally with like what Chicago has to offer in terms of like arts <laughs> and like lifestyle, which yeah. is just re- like a really interesting, um, yeah, like depth to a teen character that I think like most people just assume that teens don't like anything or just like parties and drugs and drinking, but that's not right. at all what they do to have a good time. Yeah, and Euphoria, they're never going to like LACMA. What is that show about? Oh. (laughs) I've never seen that show, but yeah. Oh, I think you'd like it. Parker and I were just like, it's just people dancing in neon lights. Like, that's all I see of this show. It's a very A24 television. Well, it is A24, isn't it? Like, it's literally A24. Yeah, Yeah, it's. And the director did Assassination Nation. I mean, that's it. It's Assassination Nation plus A24. All right, so let's move on to the sort of like internet-y, you know, like uh, is Die Hard a Christmas movie type question here. Is Ferris Bueller a sociopath? Is Ferris, in fact, the villain of this story? (laughs) The villain. There's a show that I really love that was on FX called You're the Worst, where the two main characters Mm. are the worst. And they watch Ferris Bueller's Day Off and they're like, Cameron is clearly the villain in this story. Like (laughs) Ferris just wants them to have a great day and Cameron's the one ruining everything, (laughs) which I kind of see a little bit. Like, yes, I do think Ferris is a sociopath, but I also agree that Cameron's just really whiny. Yeah. And I feel like highlighted against each other, like Ferris's um, like craziness is amplified. I feel like if he had friends who went along with it, it would feel less like Ferris is trespassing like people's boundaries in a way that make me uncomfortable for like a friend, like making your friends do things that they're like so uncomfortable with. I mean, that's kind of like what defines all of his relationships, though, is that he's sort of like manipulating everybody. He's got all these like... He's just, all these balls are in the air. Like he's got the like ruse going on with his parents to like even establish this day at all. Then there's like the deep con with the school administration where he's hacking. He's like war gamesing uh, their computers. <laughs> uh, another Matthew Broderick role. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Um, I guess I guess I don't care. <laughs> Honestly, like. I know that this is like the like the conversation in pop culture in the last five years or so has been centered on this like is Ferris Bueller actually evil? Um, <laughs> but well, I don't I mean, know. It doesn't matter if he's evil. Yeah, I don't think it matters either. And I don't think he's evil. He's not. He's he's. I mean, he's, he's not a good a... friend. I no. think that's what it is. Like he's just he's not a good friend. No. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, definitely... he's he's obviously self centered. So very self centered. All right, internet, quiet. (laughs) Stop talking. Yeah, we've answered that. Okay, so this makes, what makes this movie one of the John Hughes films, if not the John Hughes film for, I know that Mm -hmm. maybe it's not our favorite, but is this like the er John Hughes movie? 
I mean, it is my favorite, but. Right. I think Diana kind of nailed it when you said it was like every Gen Xer's dream to do nothing and, you know, or do everything and get away with it, but have to do nothing, not like have no responsibilities. Um, Yeah, I don't know. I mean, honestly, Matthew Broderick, I I think he paid the price for doing this role afterward. I mean, I I never see him as anything but Ferris Bueller. Mm -hmm. And I think that he really you know, acted his little butt off in this movie. So, but maybe that's just Matthew Broderick <laughs> and he was cast perfectly for that role. Mm-hmm. I, think I mean, in real life, it. in real life, he doesn't seem anything like Ferris Bueller. Right. Mm-mm. So um, I think he did. Yeah. I think that was part of the reason why this movie was such a, like such a hit is because he, I mean, Matthew Broderick was perfect in that role. He's so um, charismatic. Yeah. Yeah. Even when his face is like stone cold, there's something about it where he just looks, you want to still talk to him. He's like Mm -hmm. that kid that you probably would stand in line and just have a conversation with. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. That's why. Boy Next Door. I mean, I think the fantasy element is like really important. Like that, that's the part about like teen films that like I think is attractive. It's like this balance between like how do you show teens like going through real stuff which is like happening here with like Cameron and to an extent like I think you know this day off is really like Ferris is coming to terms with the fact that like people are going to be going to college soon and like he won't be with his friends anymore so like what happens afterwards so like it's that balance with like the hijinks yeah Um, and I think this movie like balances that really well and you can watch the film and not really think about any of the serious stuff at all but you can also take these like poignant moments like when Cameron's staring at the painting um and really like make something of them and I think that like that's the kind of film that appeals to I think a lot of different types of people a lot of different types of kids in particular right the ones who like films that are maybe more emotional or like who like art who that are a little bit more emotional um and then like teens who just want to be entertained. Yeah. Cause I think, so I'm, I, I have a cheat sheet here in front of me. It's uh, it's called Wikipedia. Um, I'm looking at um, John Hughes's uh, filmography. So this is his fourth film that he directed. He directed eight. Uh, so this comes right in the middle. The first three were 16 candles, the breakfast club, which I think is surprising that that's the second. Cause it's pretty fully realized. seems like. It has all the Hughes elements. Uh, third was Weird Science, which for some reason I would almost imagine that was first. Totally. Um, I love Weird Science, though. Yeah. I watched that over and over again when I was a kid. It's been forever since I've I've seen that one. But I mean, so then Ferris Bueller. And then after that is, you know, he starts doing the more adult movies, uh, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. He's having a baby, Uncle Buck, Curly Sue. Curly Sue is his last film that he directed but it's like ferris bueller is his last like teen movie and it's the most ambitious he's going all over chicago uh i feel like he nailed the soundtrack there's a lot of great john hughes soundtracks which are like integral i think to narration in a way that it isn't in a lot of um a lot of movies period i think like the soundtracks really do a lot of work like emotionally in his movies and i think uh in ferris bueller like the music just kind of is perfect at all times. Uh, 
John Hughes, this, the aesthetic and like the structure and that balance between emotion and like fun and comedy and fantasy and all that just kind of com- becomes like an archetype for teen films in general. So I thought I'd just kind of like open it up a little bit broader to like teen films here. Like what exactly, like what is the legacy of the Hughes films on teen movies in a broader sense? And like, how is that good and bad, I guess? Hmm. I think there's a difference between films that are for teens and films that are like about them, but not necessarily for them. Um, yeah. And I do feel like John Hughes was wanting to speak to like contemporary like teens. Um, and I think that's really hard because I think teens are like they know when they're being talked down to and like when people are being condescending, when there's like not like realistic portrayals of them, like they don't like fall into these like writerly traps very often. Um, and I think... A, like John Hughes was creating movies in a much different Hollywood where there were mid-budget comedies and like romantic comedies and teen films. And like that's not really happening anymore. So like like in terms of like the legacy, like I mean, I guess there is one. But if you also think of like how downsized just these genres are now, like the legacy is like Netflix films, you know, which, which is not like... Mm saying like that they're bad but it's just like netflix and these streaming platforms are the only ones now that can like afford to make these films that don't need an investment on return you know that don't need to make box office dollars and so i think the more interesting stuff is happening like on television than it is in like the movie theaters in terms of like portrayals of teens that's interesting and i think there's also something i think we all mentioned this uh but like we watched this movie before we were teens Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And I feel like that is a major thing. Like the young people, younger people that I am in conversation with about like their favorite teen movies or whatever, they were watching like Mean Girls when they were in elementary school. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Like that was yeah. formative for them before they were teens. Mm-hmm. And I, I wonder how like in a way these movies also like define our expectations of being a teenager mm-hmm. uh, in a weird way. Like maybe even like... <laughs> give us like false expectations, deprive us in a weird way of like an organic experience. Mm-hmm. Like if you never have a, a Ferris Bueller's day off esque experience, did you really have a teenage, did you really have like a teenage dumb? Yeah. One of the things about his movies, if there was ever a dance, people were always dancing and that really, <laughs> what didn't happen. Yeah, that's not a thing. <laughs> No, fiction. I mean, pure fiction. More so, <laughs> more so in high school, I guess there was more of that sort of just casual, random dancing at a dance. But man, walking into that middle school dance, it was brutal. It's like, where's where's the dancing, guys? Not and in also here. just <laughs> yeah, not here. And also like out like outside the context of a dance, there's like iconic John Hughes dance sequences. Yes, Breakfast Club. Um, is it? 16 candles with ducky yeah yeah it's pretty in pink that's pretty in pink yeah pretty in pink is ducky yeah okay okay with the shoes with the shoes but like that 
like going back to that fantasy aspect like that's part of it like that film like as much as it depicts like a girl in this like you know working class to like poverty line like the fact that she can like sew her own dress which i think is a terrible dress right but like that is like fantastic (laughs) right like the the fact that she has the skill that can like get her out of like this um economic situation that she's in like there's that balance there between like the fantasy and the reality of it um yeah and i don't know if that like i don't know if there's any films being made that are like purely that now like, I feel like the landscape of films that we're in, like, it's harder to pull off in, like, a real way because people are just so, like, mean about any of that kind of, like, fantastical thing. Like, it immediately turns into, like, is this person the worst? Like, would this ever happen? <laughs> like, this sure. is, you know, all of these things. Like, it just, I don't know. I just feel like the current state of, like, criticism but like the way that people watch things maybe doesn't like allow for the kind of escapist watching that like john hughes was making films in yeah yeah maybe i don't know deeply problematic (laughs) in like their gender relationships and like obviously the lack of diversity in casting Mm -hmm. in like the racist stereotypes of any like characters who are of color um and, like, if that's a legacy, like, there you go. Right. Like, kid, teens of color are rarely afforded, like, the whimsy of right. yeah. Ferris yeah. Bueller. Yeah, that's the thing that I was going to say is, I mean, even just the fact that he can do all those things and get zero, have zero um, consequences is definitely a white male story. Um, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, even when just thinking about teen movies that have people of color, especially from this era, they were all about gangs, inner city, um, youth struggling. I mean, that's what it was, you know, Boys in the Hood, Lean on Me, all of those movies that were, that had teens of color didn't have, like what you said, weren't just a, just a day in the life of like, hey, let's just skip school and go to Chicago, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, I'm, you know, right now on our, the Instagram for this, uh, for the show, we're featuring teen movies and mm-hmm. I'm casting as white a net as I can. And it's hard just to find films with any, mm-hmm. you know, colors of character that fit in the, the teen movie bucket. That's kind of like Ferris Bueller or even a wider search. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I agree with you, Diana, that. I mean, I love a teen movie still. Love it. Oh, yeah. Watching that. Love it. Um, So any of the streaming services that have created those, it's you're right. It's the easiest way to watch. It's the closest thing to something like this. Um, But, you know, HBO, I think, is doing a really good job of creating series around teens um, that are very inclusive. So that's really refreshing. But again, it's it's a series. So it's it's significantly different Mm -hmm. it's not Mm -hmm. it's more it's a it's a whole picture I mean more so of of their lives usually more intense Mm -hmm. um yeah right yeah it's one of those again like a movie about about teen life that's not necessarily like you know we've had 
plenty of examples of this, but in like the last couple of years, like there was a ridiculous scenario where like teenagers could not go to see eighth grade, the film right. without a parent because it was rated R, yeah. but it was like in almost like too real portrait of a 14 year old. Oh so yes. 14 year olds could go the same way, right? Books. Sure. Yeah. 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 Book smart was who I wished I was in high school. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> because those ladies did not yeah. give AF. But no. that like, but those films are like such like like those ratings are like such to me such an example of like how adults don't understand what teens are exposed to on an on an everyday, right? Like the fact that eighth grade and book smart are rated R for like language and sexuality and like drug use as if like teens aren't doing those things, right? As if by like keeping them from watching these films is going to like, Oh yeah. Stop, stop them from like, like this is where they'll get the idea. It's just a fundamental misunderstanding of like, um, like that kids need to see themselves as well in like nuanced and well, and like well-rounded ways including the things that like they're not i don't know that have like different consequences Mm -hmm. so diana is saying parents just don't understand parents just don't (laughs) understand i'll second it like if you think of audience like those were films that felt as though they were made for kid like for teens Mm -hmm. um like i enjoyed it but i also understood that like some of the humor like it wasn't for me um and it just, it sucks that, you know, a lot of the people choosing what gets to kids are adults. And I think that's why they're moving off of, like, films and TV to, like, creator-centered content like YouTube and TikTok, right? Where there is no adult mediating um, content. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's a really good point. Yeah, I mean. That is the Wild West. Yeah, most of the kids I know watch uh, people filming themselves playing video games. Like, that is a serious genre Yeah, <laughs> that they watch. I don't get it because I am not a teenager, I guess, anymore. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, that's the kind of stuff. There's no way that that, you know, you never make a movie, obviously, on that. But, I mean, Carter would watch hours of that if he could mm-hmm. and does still. So I guess in the spirit of this conversation or the direction that it's taken, I wanted to invite uh, all of us to propose a film to be added to the teen film canon, um, a movie that deserves to be in the same conversation as Ferris Bueller's Day Off, but is in some way corrective to the overwhelming, you know, normativity, whiteness, whatever of the teen movie status quo. So one of the movies that I'm thinking about um, that I really enjoyed was Dope. All right, so Dope is a 2015 um, comedy drama, also rated R, by the way. Uh, Life changes for Malcolm, a geek who's surviving life in a tough neighborhood after a chance invitation to an underground party leads him and his friends into a Los Angeles adventure. Um, And I think, like, this film is getting to, like, some of that whimsy that I'm talking about. Like, it's it's not like a serious drama about teens. It, like, is actually really funny. Um, and has um, teens of color that are different from like your stereo- like your stereotype of like young black boys that you would tend to see in like a Hollywood movie. 
um it was like such a cute film and i the other film um that i think should be included in like teen film viewing is skate kitchen um which is about a bunch of girls uh who are skateboarders in new york city it's directed by a woman it has an inclusive and diverse cast skate kitchen's wonderful yeah Th- those are my those are my picks those are great um so i here i went off purely of what like i remember watching as again probably too young uh and one of my favorite movies of all time is actually fame and um that was done in 1980. So I'm sure I watched it when I was, you know, probably six or seven <laughs> first. Yeah, you, you did. Know, any, <laughs> yeah. Any, any sort of, uh, any sort of dancing movie I am into. So this was just totally my jam. And I never, I don't know. So it, fame is definitely, um, it's very um, inclusive when it comes to the cast, like diverse cast and, and not just even in, um, you know, racial equality or racial uh, diversity, but um, also gender sort of uh, issues. They have a gay cast member or, or a, there's a gay cast member in on this, um, plays a gay character, um, which is great. Um, yeah, and it, this one is still, I'd say, I would say it's, it's rated R as well. Um, it's more gritty it's not whimsical necessarily I mean but it is there is whimsy in the fact that these people are all attending like the New York City Performing Arts School of Performing Arts so they're talented um they all it's it focuses on eight different um characters primarily but the cast is huge and my lady Debbie Allen is in it and I love 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 her and she has a really amazing story as a black ballet dancer in general so like having her in here as an actress is just really cool because she's such, I mean, and she's a huge role model for people still. She owns a dance studio that has a really inclusive, um, she's just incredible. I love Debbie Debbie Allen. She's like, I'm a fangirl of hers. Um, But they make, they they actually create uh, the Nutcracker and I forget what they call it, but they have a Nutcracker that they do every year. There's that Netflix documentary about that called Nutcracker Dreams or something. Have you seen that? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And it's incredible mm. um, what she does um, because she is, it's very inclusive, but she, it's not, it's not anything like, it's not like a, she makes people work. She wants people to come in and da- do the dance. Anyway, you can see that in this film. Um, I just love that she's in it. She worked her ass off as a person in real life, um, really fighting like white normative ballet dancing, um, not getting into college and then coming into this um, movie. It's just great. Anyway, love her. Uh, yeah, so fame, fame. That's my pick for one. Um, yeah, I mean, now that you mentioned Euphoria, I know that it's not a movie, but I love you. I love Euphoria. It's really intense. Um, a, a much more intense uh, picture of teens than you would normally see. Um, and television, but I think it's a really important series um, for so many people. And and the fact that they have a trans they have transgender um, actor playing that role um, is amazing, uh, and especially as a teen. Yeah, I think in thinking more about Euphoria, which I just started watching a few days ago, but. Um, it's giving me like major like Greg Araki or like uh, 
yeah, like those kinds of vibes where it's like a a very radical vision of of teenagerdom that may even be partially invented, but um, is definitely rooted in truth about teen experience for sure. Right, especially drug use and yeah. addiction when it comes to, I mean, that's when addiction starts is teenage years. That's when people become drug addicts, um, usually, not always, but it's a formative time of your life and definitely when you'd start to get introduced into that world, if not before. Okay, so I would um, go with a film that, um, well, I, wa- I really like, so Diana, well, we've been talking about how like shows and streaming services are kind of like now delivering these, you know, um, these kind of corrective narratives to teens. Like I feel like back in the day, like home video was how like teens actually decided what were their movies. It wasn't like necessarily like going to the, going to the theater mm-hmm. um, because that's expensive, could be cost prohibitive. It will, is Mm-hmm. And like you also have to get a ride, blah 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 blah. Mm-hmm. So like home video for me in my era was like really how like we found our films and decided what were like the definitive team films. So the big one that I wanted to put forward for this exercise was "But I'm a Cheerleader," which um, is like a seminal queer teen film. Uh, none of the cast, of course, are teenagers, but <laughs> it's the cast is led by. Um, uh, Natasha Leone, uh, she has said, you know, in the years since that, this was, the idea was like her and all of her queer actor New York friends went to upstate New York and made this weird movie, and it works miraculously well. I think if you're a fan of like Strangers with Candy, it even has like a lot of John Waters in it. I think um, this is definitely up your alley if you haven't already seen it. But um, yeah, the idea is that it's a it's like set at a gay conversion facility, um, and it's extremely satirical very it's very funny um and i think especially for the time wildly broadly representative of of queer um expression um which was something you know in 1999 or 2000 when it came out that would have been you know heretical like just would have been unheard of um and it is an indie film that's how it got made you know they it was very diy they just did it um but yeah, it's a pretty, uh, yeah, I, I think it stands, stands up well. Um, and I think we've already mentioned it, but I think in recent years, I loved Book Smart, um, which is another film that I think advances the teen film um, and is just really, really good, period. So good. I laughed so hard in that movie. Like, yeah. Like just belly roll, like... Oh my God. Absolutely. It's so good. And talk about like fantastical dance scenes out of nowhere. Come on. Love. Keep the tradition alive. I love it. I get, yeah. It's a requirement in all my movies, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And in my life daily. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think historically, though, I feel like TV has been where things have been more interesting. Like, with like Fresh Prince to like Never Have I Ever, which is on Netflix. Like I think like those shows just had um, like a greater capacity for showing like the growth of teens in all these different stages of their lives. And, you know, I think Netflix is trying to bring back the, the teen comedy and the romantic comedy and, you know, um, God, what was that? 
movie with the girl who writes the letters. I watched it too. To all the boys <laughs> I've loved before. And there's a um, two. Yeah, and then there's a second one. Like, that's such a cute movie. And I feel like that movie, right, has in like an Asian American lead. I feel like that movie is actually what I think of when I think of like teen film. Like, I know you guys are like down with like Euphoria, but like to me, that's not, um, that's not like in the vein of Ferris Bueller. Sure. Yeah, you that's know? like an eighth, and it's I like eighth like grade or something. Those kind of movies are in the vein of like depictions of teens of color. Like, I tried looking for, like, ones with, like, Latino, like, teens. And it's, like, real women have curves. Like, that's not a happy movie. Like, that's not the fantasy of Ferris Bueller. Um, and so there's also, like, like teen movies as well as all the other movies um, are, like, fighting against these stereotypes that, like, executives have about, like, the kinds of lives that people of color lead. Like, I'm sure just like in Ferris Bueller's Day Off, like, a story about, like, a well-off you know, like Indian American girl, like in Never Have I Ever, like includes like hijinks and funny things that are um, nuanced by race, but aren't like, I don't know, the whimsy isn't restricted by like the writer's idea that like being a person of color is about suffering. Um, and I feel like the genre of like the teen comedy and the romantic comedy in particular, like hasn't yet found a way to like get past these ideas that executives have of like only commissioning films where like people of color are just like in dire circumstances. Sorry. All right. It ruined it. <laughs> I what was with the nineties and like having so many shows like Moesha and Sister Sister yeah. and uh, Fresh Prince and yeah. Family Matters and mm-hmm. <laughs> Martin mm-hmm. and just all these shows about black people from different backgrounds and yeah and like all of those like interestingly existed in these worlds that I think translate to like these genres that aren't really bound by like the reality of like socioeconomic status gender or race you know like a, a teen romantic comedy like the kids at the end of it are going to get together and what you're supposed to like pretend that they're going to get married like you know they're going to break up right so like I don't know like to me like I like can go either way like sometimes I like really understand these conversations about like wanting you know films to like depict reality but there are other times when I'm like well only white people are allowed to live like outside of like the restrictions of like their lives because white people have those restrictions too like rate like class is a thing like across all races and ethnicities yet somehow molly ringwald gets to like make a dress and be a bell you know a bell of the ball but like if you were to cast like a girl of color in that same role like it would like end with her dying or something (laughs) like it would like just like the way that people think of like stories with like people of color as leads are so restrictive. And I think that television has been a place where like that whimsy has been allowed to exist in a way that it hasn't in films. And I think like this, these 90s like sitcoms that are now going to be available to so many more people via Hulu and Netflix. I mean, will hopefully show that like for a long time, like these creators wanted those same stories with like kids of color. And on that note, <laughs> sorry, yeah. I just ruined it. will be time for a clip. Own series. 
No, you didn't ruin it. It's the truth. I mean, that's the words that need to be said. That's what I meant when looking for a teen comedy movie with, you know, diversity. It was so, I mean, what I grew up watching then, you know, what they had really mm-hmm. was like Boys in the Hood. That like Juice, of, that, yeah. Th- those kind of films. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, House Party was one that I thought about choosing because I did watch House Party. My brothers were super into that. That was a little less, but still mm-hmm. super stereotypical. Um, but that one was more yeah. of a fantastical, like funny, like comedy, you know, uh, about teens. I don't know, but you're right. It's um, the narrative. It should change. That's why it's was, was a bummer. Yeah, I mean, and, well, and like I said, the exercise of trying to come, yeah. like do the Instagram related to this episode is just another affirmation of the fact that like the history of the film industry is racist and sexist, unlike, Mm -hmm. you know, or mirroring, you know, our culture. Um, But um, hopefully it's, hopefully it's going to get better. I feel like there are audiences for stories that center uh, people of color and teens of color in like liberating fun um, ways. Mm -hmm. There are, we know this, that's a fact. (laughs) Yeah. Right. And I don't think it needs to see, I'm more of a realist. I think like, I like the fantasy ish, but I, I like it to be a little bit more real, but that's the thing is like, reality is that there are happy endings for people of color Mm -hmm. and that needs to be shown Mm -hmm. on screen, Mm -hmm. however it is. Yeah. So. Yeah. I always feel really vexed about this because I, I don't like the, like uh, the, the basis of like colorblind casting like, I don't think it can be done. Like, you can't just swap out, like, like this Bridgerton show, right? Like, you can't just swap out, like, white people for a person of color and, like, never address it. Like, that's just not the reality of our lives. But I feel like in in media that can be more fantastical, that is already playing with the boundaries of reality, like, that these people are fated to meet each other and to fall in love or like that teens don't face consequences for what they do or that they live in a world where everyone's just like super funny and witty. Like, I feel like those are spaces where you can, you can apply some of these rules and like actually have really fresh um, stories. Yeah, we are now we are now watching Dana do a full on dance. It is elaborate. Wow, she look at her. Tutting me. Okay. She is. Is that what yes. that is? It is. <laughs> don't you don't you miss me in the office? I sent Diana a video of me in the office of like a month or so ago, but no, <laughs> Oh yeah, that was a big kicks, part my of high office kicks. life. Just, yeah. I I mean, I yep. missed doing my high You're kicks so for you guys. Um, You're like a rocket. Yeah. <laughs> <I know. laughs> <laughs> okay, well, okay. I think uh, <laughs> we found our transition improbably because back, one thing that we used to do when we yeah. worked together in the office before quarantine was it we would do impromptu little games. And this is by no means impromptu. We end yeah. every episode with a game. Um, and for this episode, Dana volunteered to put together our game. It's game time. Yeah, this is one of our this is one of our stand like a good old standard game that we played. We have not played it though I on the podcast yet. And it is Oh, I need a pen and a paper. Keywords. Okay. 
I need keywords. Pen. I know. I was like, get your pen keywords. and paper. Serious. This is like. Yes. Do you want to um, explain for people what keywords is while we get yes. our so, supplies ready? Yes. So keywords is I look up a movie on IMDb and I they have a little fun section that is labeled plot keywords. I open it up and I read one plot keyword at a time, hoping that one some of, someone will guess what the movie is and I am gonna it's John Hughes movie since this was the episode there but it includes writing credits as well not just his um okay films and he has a huge writing I didn't even know he wrote half of these movies when I when I did the old google words love it Yes, I know. I can't believe you. Also, just this. so people know, uh, we do work really hard. When we're in the office. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, my high kicks are really after doing an intense amount of work. Yeah, my chair. These spins. games were purely in the middle of like us not talking for four hours <laughs> to one yeah. another, even the though silence. we sit like six inches away from one another. Yeah, the silence, and then all of a sudden. All right, yes, okay. I'm ready. I am so excited. It's been so long. You guys can play along at home. Oh, that's right. Well, <gasps> because yes. the process is reveals itself. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay, here we go. And you did hear it, PK, that it's writing credits for John Hughes. As well. Oh, okay. So it's Great. John Hughes movies. Uh, um, writing or directing. Um, okay, first mm-hmm. one. Thin woman. Stop. Oh, God. All of them. Camcorder. Camcorder. Is it some like it hot? Wait, what? <laughs> it's oh, Billy sorry. Wilder. Sorry. What's, like, what's, no, no, no. What's that? What's the name of the movie with the girl with the short hair? Wow. Some. Wonderful. Some kind of wonderful. Some, yeah, some kind of wonderful. That's what it's I meant. Not, it's not that one. Okay. Um, I was just imagining her cute short hair, okay? <laughs> Carousel. Carousel? Okay. Um, Carousel. I think I need one. It's not Teen Witch, is it? Nope. I think I need oh, one more. Okay, I'm going to hazard a guess. Career opportunities? Nope. Okay. <laughs> Wheelchair. Wheelchair. Wow. Can't remember a wheelchair. So to recap, Thin Woman, Camcorder, Carousel. I bet there's a listener who already knows it, and this is probably very exciting for them. We are not (laughs) as smart as you. (laughs) Wait, am I allowed to look at a list of John Hughes movies? I don't know. We're not. We're not. I know we're not. I just want to. Okay, here we go. I'll start to give you the easier ones. Um, Okay. Raccoon. Okay, you think that's easier? Oh, great outdoors. <laughs> yes. 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 Great outdoors. What a good one. Oh, you did it. Okay. Here we go. Is that Jamie Lee Curtis? Is she the thin warm woman? I guess that's who they meant. Or Car- is that Car- that's Carrie Fisher okay. in that movie, right? And that Benny. Um, okay, I'm very wrong. Yeah, I'm so Benny. wrong. Yeah, that betting's Dan Aykroyd's wife in that movie. Okay. Um, okay. Let's see. Got another one here. Yuppie. Okay. Okay. Yep. Okay. Got a few ideas. 
Yeah, me too. <laughs> Chaos. Huh. Really narrowing it down. Yeah. Um, home. Is this yeah. Sixteen Candles? No. Is this um, Pretty in Pink? No. Is it Home Alone? Is this no? <laughs> is this anything starring Andrew McCarthy? No. Okay. Okay. Let's get another <laughs> keyword. Okay. Uh, frustration. But these are so basic. Uh, these are all names of perfumes, too. You're right. That's true. <laughs> Chaos. <laughs> yuppie. Yeah, big time. Uh, it smells yuppie. like money. Yeah. Our grocery store. Groceries. You're telling me this isn't Home Alone. Camera shot of feet. That's awesome. What a great keyword. Camera shot. Of- People who are looking for that keyword, we need to look out for. <laughs> <laughs> they go on a list. One of two found this relevant. <laughs> uh, uh, okay, 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 okay. Um, unemployment. I think I just don't know John Hughes movies enough. Uncle Buck. Nope. Oh, Roll reversal. Vacuum cleaner. Did he write that movie? <laughs> I'm really just grasping at straws because I don't know John Hughes' filmography very well. Um, is it that movie with um, Judge Reinhold? Judge Reinhold. <laughs> Where he, vice versa. Is it vice no. versa? <laughs> okay. Okay. Uh, I, I'm going to, I mean, this should give it away. Okay. Parent, parenthood. Oh, she's having oh, a baby? Mr. Mom? Mr. Mom. Mr. Mom. Yeah. Oh, vacuum should have done it. Vacuum should have done it. It's like vacuum. Oh, it all makes sense and falls into place once you tell me. (laughs) Oh, frustration, of course. (laughs) (laughs) They're frustrated. Frustration. Okay, hold on. There's a camera shot of feet. Uh, Don't you remember remember? that camera shot? While he's vacuuming. You guys, I think we need to put out a survey too at some point to find out if our listeners hate the game segment. (laughs) (laughs) Who cares? They don't care. Should we do one? Uh, We got to do it one more, right? Yeah, we'll do one more here. Um, Okay. Hotel. It's a common theme in his movies. Um, Lost in New York. (laughs) Subway. Subway. Okay, so we're in New York. Nitroglycerin. <laughs> Curly Sue. Nope. <laughs> Park bench. Park bench. Bench. I feel like nitroglycerin is kind of giving it away, but I don't. I can't Weird science. No. Okay. Precocious child. Oh, come on now. I know. This has a lot of keywords. Um, Precocious child. Hotel Subway, Nitroglycerin, Park Did he write Three Men and a Baby? Precocious Child. Okay, let's see here. Did he write Three Men and a Little Lady? Maybe, but this is not this one. Mm. Uh, Mistaken Mm. Identity. I will give you a hint. This is uh, not an 80s. This was not sure. an 80s movie. Yeah, I'm getting that. 
that okay. vibe yeah. with the nitroglycerin. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, the projects. Wow. Sitting here. You really throw throw me for a loop. Okay. Here. Okay. Okay. Place name in title. That's to give it away. Uh, New York, the movie. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Nixon tapes. Starring Fran Nixon? as a precocious child. <laughs> Nixon tapes. I don't know. I don't remember this from that movie, but. Nixon. Oh, uh, ooh. Oh, um. Wall Street. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, is it that movie with Kirsten Dunst? Oh, uh, no, no, no. No. Ball it, gown. Okay. Ball gown. I'm, I'm about to give it away. This next one will give it. Oh, is it um uh a naked no. gun? Okay. Single mother. What on earth is happening? Housekeeping. Mrs. That's Mrs. Doubtfire. <laughs> no. But no, that's not a place name. No, it's not. It's not Mrs. Doubtfire. But Mrs. Housekeeping. Alabama Doubtfire. Tommy Boy. Housekeeping Hotel. Dunstan Single checks mother. in. Single mother. Role reversal. Mistaken identity. Freaky Friday. <laughs> nice. Place oh name. my god! I think I know what this is. Can you say housekeeping again? Nobody knows. No John one knows. Is. John who's. Yeah, you wouldn't know probably, but. Uh, okay, uh, what could I? Jenny from the Block. That is my own. Made in word. Manhattan. Yeah, housekeeping. Made in Manhattan. Yes. <laughs> How you said housekeeping? I was like, oh my god, I know what this movie is. <laughs> oh, that one was a hard one. That was wild. That was that great. Was good. He wrote that. Isn't that weird? Oh. He, there is a precocious child. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> His last Our- credit. Uh, for his last film credit is for um, Drillbit Taylor. He wrote Drillbit Taylor. That was fun. That was great. Okay. Well, now Keywords is going to sweep the nation. (laughs) This is what you can do with your Zoom hangs from now on is play Keywords. We give this to you. You Um, are welcome. I do love it. That's such a good game. Well, it was really fun to hang out with all of you and producer Joshua. Hey, thanks for the assist. Um, Yeah, we'll see you again next month for another episode of Back Row Center. Uh, In the meantime, I am putting together a fun Spotify playlist that you can find uh, wherever we post about this for uh, an ultimate John Hughes uh, soundtrack mixtape. We'll be back next month see ya bye back row center is a podcast from film streams a nonprofit organization dedicated to enhancing the cultural environment of omaha nebraska and surrounding areas through film we operate two beautiful cinemas the ruth sakalap theater in north downtown and the historic dundee theater Film Streams receive support from the National Endowment for the Arts and the Nebraska Arts Council. Our new releases programming is supported by the Douglas County Visitor Improvement Fund. We're also supported by thousands of Film Streams members. This is for you. Gummy bear? They've been in my pocket. They're real warm and soft. Until next time, we'll see you in the best seats in the house, Back Row Center.